Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. kidding don't do that were you grateful to be in church this morning or what it's good to be in God's house we are I consider you family Um, I as Pastor Magno said I'm from the uh, southernmost part of this great state of New Jersey how many actually just are love the fact that you live in New Jersey listen that wasn't very that wasn't very convincing I I do this all the time in our church. I'm like, you have to be proud. Listen, the taxes we pay, all the other stuff we have going on, like we're we're proud to be in Jersey. And um, people say a lot of stuff about people from New Jersey. But I always tell our church, you just better tell people how amazing it is. But honestly, from where God has placed us, I look at it at a vantage point of this. We have a lot of family and friends that are moving south. And um, people say, why do you live in New Jersey? And my response to people has always been this. I believe God has called me um, to reach the people of this region, and I'm here because God has me here. Can you say amen to that? That's the only reason we're here is because God has us here. But I'm incredibly grateful and honored to be with you today. As Pastor Magno said, I have five children. Um, We welcomed our fifth child, our son Malachi. He's three months old, and uh, he's so great. I'm one of, uh, what is that doing there? The Magno do that? Um, and so we are, we're a growing family. I, like I said, I'm one of eight. I think my parents have over 33 grandchildren. And um, we, we take the Bible seriously when it says be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> and so if you want to know if I have a high view of scripture, I do. Uh, I, I sincerely do. I don't have the ability to preach the same message, so I'm not going to attempt to do that, but I have something I want to share with you today, and before I do that, I do want to just remind some of you, um, and you know this, but may it just be a reminder that there's something exceptional that God's doing in this place. I was talking to Pastor Katie, and she goes, I love Baptism Sunday, and I said, isn't it hilarious that when we get out of our way of doing things for God, and we're just obedient to what He says... He can fill the room through the power of baptism in a way that no worship song would ever do it or no work of our hands would ever create. And so there's something beautiful and something powerful that God can do in the heart of people when you're just obedient to him. Can you say amen? Amen. Um, I want to take you and begin in Genesis. We're going to move to Matthew. We're going to be all over. Is that all right? It's just the way I think. And so, um, but I'm going to start in John 17. But I want to speak to you in this theme or in this... Um, topic of understanding around what it means to know God, what it ultimately means to know God. It's a profound statement or question, I suppose, that we can unpack and tackle together. Um, But I think what God is doing in the life of Church Alive is exceptional. I think what you're witnessing is exceptional. I don't think it's unique. I don't think it's common. And to dishonor something means to view it as common and ordinary. And so if you want to dishonor God, look at what's happening here as common and ordinary. The Bible says if you want to honor your bride, every time they walk into the room, you should not look at them as common or ordinary. 
And that's what it means to honor it. It's what it means to, to give honor to God, to never view him in a place of common commonality um, or someone as ordinary. And that's a danger for us in our culture today because we become so familiar with things, we discard the significance of them, and we no longer honor that which God honors. John chapter 17, verse 3, this is what the scripture says. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The scripture teaches us that there's really one way the lost world will know that we belong to God. And it's quite fascinating because if you study the scriptures and you're expecting to see this hierarchy of, of accolades and intellectual intellectual kind of theories and all this theology and no actually the Bible says if you want to be known this is how you will be known unto men that you are mine by the way you love one another and if we can boil down the complexities of our journey with the Lord and understand that God God is ever present in our time of need but he wants us to learn how to love one another because in our learning of loving one another I believe we have the ability to then learn how to receive the love that first comes from God um, how many of you have been in church longer than uh, five years? Can you put your hands up? And um, so you are familiar with being in church and being told, hey, you should do this. You should read your Bible. Have you ever been told to read your Bible? I'm not going to tell you not to. I want to be invited back. So reading your Bible is, is good. Um, how many have you been told to pray? Have you been told to pray? Read your Bible. You've been told to pray. How many have you been told to be in the house of the Lord? And this isn't just Pastor Anthony Miriam's like ideas on 92.13 says those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. Like the Bible teaches us all these things. But how many of you in your journey of faith um, I mean, have realized that really what it means to, to, to walk with the Lord is to walk in obedience to what his word says? Now, I have five children. I've recognized that there are multiple avenues to get them to do what I want them to do. And, and I, I, can, I, can, um, I can threaten them, not a great tactic. I, I can use guilt, you know, and sometimes if my kids aren't behaving, I'm like, you know, I pretend the sad, oh, I'm so disappointed. Oh, Dad, don't do that. And so you can use, like, guilt and, and almost make them feel like they messed up. And you could do that to manipulate a desired outcome. And, and I'm sharing this with you because I don't want you to fall into this pit, into this, into this line of thinking that, that really what Christianity is nothing more than behavioral modification. It's nothing more than you just trying to be the best, the best version of you. Can I just help you? Don't try to do that. Because the best version of you is not really what you want to obtain. You want to fix your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith and, and look to Jesus. And because the best version of you is never good enough. So you fix your eyes on Jesus. And the problem with the world is, is they're always saying, well, if you do this and you do that and if you do that, the truth is you'll still be unfulfilled. You still won't walk in purpose. You still won't walk in freedom. But only Christ brings that. Only Christ brings that. So how do we, ultimately, the Bible says, this is eternal life to know God. To know God. I always thought eternal life is when, when this life is over, then we, we, we enter into eternity. The Bible says eternal life is to know God. You can walk in eternal life right now to know God. And, and to know God is not only this work by the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit, this impartation of revelation of really the ability given by God to see Him for who He really is. The Bible says that 
that God draws all men unto himself, that he's placed inside of each one of us this, this longing, this, this, this emptiness. God has placed in the, into the heart of man this, this, this longing for eternal things. But he draws you to himself. Do you ever hear people say, I found God? God never lost you, you know. And, and, and the truth is, is we've wandered away from the presence of God. In our walk with the Lord, over the course of my life, um, my grandfather, great-grandfather was a minister. My grandfather was a minister. My father is a minister. And you know how it goes. It's like young church kids are like, the one thing I don't want to be. And don't ever say that to God because he's listening. And then, and, and, and I, I, I fought, um, I played um, uh, sports in college. And I, I was living a life that I was convincing some people I was honoring God. But I knew deep down I was kind of doing my own thing. And I finally wrestled with this to know God thing I'm talking with you about this morning and it was problematic with me because I still had this sense of emptiness but I was doing what I was told to do I was showing up to church check you know I mean I was in the back sleeping but I was there so like I was checked you know and and um, I was reading but it was like open the Bible app and like you know for God so loved the world. Great. You know, I read that. And then check. I did that. And then pray, Lord, help me not to pass this test I didn't study for. Thank you, God. And so I was praying. And, and so in my mind, I was doing everything for God. Recently, I read what one um, theologian would write, that the maturity of a believer is not to just do things for God, but to rest in who he is for us. This idea of knowing God first produces within us this desire to do things for God. Order is important. And if order is out of place, the end product is messed up. <laughs> That's why in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Um, my daughter, she is 10 years old, Harper. She's the oldest. And how many of you are the oldest in your family? It's hard being the oldest. I wasn't. I was able to be the delinquent. And... Um, and <laughs> The oldest is hard because the standard's high. You've got to be the best. Everyone is compared to you. And look at you. Act right for your kids. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm glad I wasn't the oldest. I was third. And, and, and she recently started baking, and she loves it. And I don't want to – I can easily micromanage and, and be over top. And, and like, I just want to train. I want to be with her. I want to have fun. And she's always like, Dad, get away. And I'm like, that's right. I, I just – let me – she's like, no get out of the kitchen. So I'm not even allowed in the kitchen, but she starts cooking and she's asked me sometimes, she'll say like, can I do this? Can I do that? And I'm like, just follow the, the recipe. It's, it's easy. Just follow the recipe. And so she gets things out and, and she'll make some things and uh, she'll go try it. And like, this is hard for dad because you want to always celebrate your kids and be like, you're the best at everything. But if it's like, if it's bad, it's, it's just really hard to fake it. And I don't have that gift. And so it's like, honey, this tastes like crap. I don't know what happened. It's not good. And then I started asking her, I'm like, well, what did you do? And she's like, well, I didn't have that, so I used this. And I didn't have that, and I used this. And it says do it in this order, but I did this. And like, it looks right. And I'm like, doesn't taste right. Did you taste this? You know, and she substitutes salt for sugar or like whatever it is. It was like, it was not good at all. And I just was laughing. But the truth is, many of us can fall prey to this journey of faith with the Lord that we're doing things for God and we're wondering why nothing is changing. And, and we always feel still tired, exhausted, and we're not like, you know, you read scriptures and it says, be joyful always. And you're like, yay, you know. 
there's nothing in it. And it's like, then you come to church alive and everyone seems like they've had 45 espressos and, <laughs> you know, and then you have to match at least close to it. So when you come in, you're like, ah, <laughs> you know, get me to my seat, you know? And, and I remember being in church like that, being raised. And it was like, you'd come in and the greeter like was always like, hi, it's so good. I'm like, get out of my way. You know, I just, I want to get to my seat. And so I've always seen this disparity in, in the people of God. And I've always asked myself, like, what is it? Maybe it's like when, when Pastor Manu leads in worship that I need to just do what some people in the front were doing in my church and just lift my hands because apparently that's like what people do. And so you just lift your hands. And maybe that's it. Maybe I need to get a new translation. Maybe I'm this, this message is just dishonoring to God translation. And so I need to get the NASB or the ESV. I don't know. And you start working to do things for God. It'll lead you down a path of feeling empty, feeling like you have a sense of inadequacy, but I want to encourage you today, if, if you get nothing else out of to our time together other than I, I come from a big family and I'm really at the southern part of the state, get this, that God allows you in the autonomy of the free will that he gives you to choose what you will put first. Like when I say to my daughter, go ahead and bake. Like I'm not standing behind her as her dad saying, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, it's going to be bad. Have a go. Have a go. And this is the free will of God. He doesn't manipulate your behavior. He doesn't say, whoa, don't do that. I, I'm Because I always tell people, I said, no, I, uh, when I said yes to Jesus, I freely followed Jesus. I know some people follow Jesus and they look like they're forced to follow, like they have a gun to their head because they're not happy. But I don't do that. I freely follow Jesus. Amen? And that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. I choose to fix my eyes on Jesus. We were singing a song that there's, there's freedom um, here, there's healing here. And if you sing those songs and you don't, and you're doing everything right, but you're not walking in it or experiencing it, it can lead you down a really strange path. It can re lead you down this path where I'm doing everything for God. I'm checking all the boxes. I'm sincere. I'm, I'm doing what a, a beautiful encouragement in our giving this morning that I'm living open-handed. I'm not doing anything. I'm doing all the things. I got baptized, and it's an outward declaration of them, my inward decision. I'm going to these Bible studies, these small groups, these transform groups. I'm doing all this stuff, but I still feel like I, I don't have a victory or I'm not walking in the freedom of every, like everyone else. The reason being is because God never says, hey, do a bunch of stuff, feel good about what you accomplish, and out of doing all of these things, then, then you'll really get to know me. There is this, listen to me, there is this real fine line of missing the substance of what God's trying to teach us. When the scriptures say to be planted in the house of God, to meditate on the word of God day and night, to give the first to God, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And the Bible is given priority, saying this should be first, this should be ordered, this should be common, this should be consistent. And the Bible lays this all out. We can easily place that of doing before knowing. We do in order to know. We don't do in order to find fulfillment and pleasure and meeting and abundance. No, that only comes from God. And so we read the scriptures, why? So that we know Him. We pray so that we can know Him. We give, not because God's broke. We don't give in the way because the church desires your money. I tell people in our church, if you ever feel guilted or you feel manipulated in giving, don't give a dollar. 
It's not the principle in it that the church wants or the church needs. No, you know what this says? This says, I know my God. And He's a God of abundance. That's what that says. Everything we do is an outworking of the nature of the God that we love. And if you don't do certain things, the truth is, and it's fine, it's you don't fully understand who God is yet. But that's all right. Because that's what a family is. It's a growing family, all from different backgrounds, different stories, different journeys, gathering together, seeking the same God, walking different paths. And as we seek after Him, the Bible says, if we seek, we will find. And many of us, we're not seeking God, we're seeking a solution to our problems. There's a big difference. When I meet people in church, they're like, oh, I got a problem. I'm like, well, welcome here. We all got problems, you know. And they're like, no, I'm looking for a fix. I'm like, we have none. And I think, listen, we serve a God who loves you. And I don't want you to mishear me. Can God bring a solution to your problem? Yes, but that's not why he's there. He's there. He's ever present in our life so that we seek him first. We run to God to know God. I always tell people, I said, hey, when the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you, when people come into, into church, they'll say, well, I don't, I don't need to worry about that right now. I have a marriage problem or I don't need to worry about that right now. I have a, a, a health problem or I don't need that. I, I, have a, um, I have a finance problem. No, 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 no. We all have a Jesus problem. <laughs> we do. And until you recognize that, it's, it's difficult. There is this theological kind of teaching around the transcendence and the, the eminence of God, the, the farness of God and the nearness of God. Now, now, regardless of how far you may feel He is away or how close you may feel He is near you, the Bible says He is ever-present. He's always there. He's always waiting to respond. He's always there watching and ready and, and, and wanting to, to walk this journey out with you. So how do we do it? In Genesis chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 16, there are two questions posed in Scripture. Unique questions, but questions I don't believe just end in the place of context in Scripture. I believe they're questions that the Holy Spirit still asks humanity today. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, many of you know this, you're Bible scholars here at Church Alive, but you know that the first question that God asked humanity is in the garden after man sinned. They did exactly what the Lord had commanded them not to do. They ate um, from the, the tree in the garden, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The moment they did that, the scriptures teach us that man had a natural response in their disobedience to God made them become aware of their fallen nature, and now they are aware of not only the goodness of God, but they're also aware of, of evil. The Bible says that when they sinned before God, they recognized their nakedness. Now this is fascinating. I want you to get this. That nothing in the external environment changed in the physical realm. They were still in the garden. Trees were still producing fruit. Animals were present. They walked in the cool of the day and spoke to God. The scriptures never say that they saw God, but they spoke to God. God spoke to them. Man spoke to God. Perfect harmony. Man chooses to, to walk outside of the order that God established. And when that happens, man has a natural reaction to hide. First question in the Bible is God asking humanity, where are you? Right? Now, I don't want to be Dr. Phil. That's not my intention in asking this today. But I suppose there's a question that must 
be addressed. It must be, you need to circle the wagon around this question. I don't care how long you've been walking with God or if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You need to ask this question or respond to this question as if a, an eternal, everlasting, magnificent God is asking you right now today, this Sunday morning, where are you? Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, in your fulfillment, in your purpose, in everything in life, where are you? And why is this important? Because until you recognize where you are in light of who God is, it's very difficult to have direction to where you should go. Do you know in, um, in, in Matthew chapter, no, John chapter 9, Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees. And remember, he heals someone who's blind, and the Pharisees had a real problem with that because he healed someone. They were aggravated about it. He, he healed someone who was blind from, from, from birth, gave them their sight, and the Pharisees lost it. And Jesus is having a, con a conversation with them about spiritual blindness. He says, because you say you see, you're blind, and your sin still remains. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Because you're telling me that you have the ability to see, without me, you're blind. Because Jesus is making something very, very simple. He's saying the only way any of us in our humanity have the ability, to, the ability to see spiritually is with Jesus. And if you say, no, I can do it without him, I can fix this, he says, no, your blindness still remains. Your blindness still remains. And that's why the scriptures say if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. What is he saying? You need to be dependent not on yourself, but on me for all things. I guess the question still must be asked, and it's a question of where are you? Where are you? And I, it's, it's imperative to, to make sure that we reiterate the, the obvious in this scenario. God was not, for whose benefit was he asking the question? It's not his, right? Who, he was asking it for Adam's benefit. It's not like God's like, oh, lost him, you know, where'd he go? Don't know, lost, misplaced him. No, no, he knows where Adam is. He's hiding. It's embarrassing. He's like, what are you doing? You know, like, what are you doing? And, and the same question could be posed to us. It's like, hey, you're not giving. What? Why are you not giving? Hey, you're not in small group. Why? What are you doing? Hey, you're not in church. You're not in community. You're not in my word. You're not praying. What are you doing? It's not, it's not for God's benefit like saying, hey, I just... We need to have a counseling session. No, he's like, he's like, I've ordered these things because you were designed to be in communion and relationship with me. When sin violates that ability, and I, my, my son, I have a son who's three. His name's Lux. He's a, you know, there's always one that has the ability to like just, because of their cuteness, just kind of get their way out of everything. And he does like stuff. There's um, a, a badminton racket we had, and it's like a really expensive one. The kids were playing, and I, I hear this in the basement, ting, ting, and I'm like, going, I'm like, oh, I want to see what he's doing down there. And I walk down, and the racket's like bent in half at a 90. He was hitting it around a pole. He was happy as all get out. He was loving it. I guess he made up a new game. And, and um, I'm like, what would you do? He's, he holds it up. It's like on a 90. It's completely bent. He goes, no, this is fine. This is fine. It's good. And he's holding it up. Look, it's good, Dad. And, uh, and then he looks at me. He's like, hands it to me like, this is a, you can fix it, you know. <laughs> And I'm like, buddy, I, I can't fix it. A lot of people misunderstand this, this, this dynamic of sin and what it creates in this disparity of our closeness and proximity to God. When man sinned, it's not as if God could be like, hey, Adam, no, I'll just, 
pretend like it doesn't exist and just we'll just strike one <laughs> come on let's just let's go no 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 god says i i cannot fix this because i'm a perfect holy and i'm a just god you must go and from the beginning of time god has devised a plan to rescue humanity from its fallen nature and to restore back what was in its original state which is this perfect harmony and union with god and what's in the way sin sin is a manifestation of anything that's before god idolatry is placing all of these pursuits accolades materialism all these other things that we desire first that is in front of god to know god to know god means to walk with him to seek him first to be in common relationship with him this question is accelerated in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 16 verse 13 through 20 Peter is having this dialogue um, with Jesus but before Peter has this dialogue Jesus is sitting around and all of the disciples are around him and and he says who do people say that I am it's it's equivalent to um, to someone coming up to you at church alive and saying um, hey see that person over there what do you know about them tell me what you think of them you know, like, oh, all right, here's a go. Um, I know this about them. I know this. Some people say this. Some people say that. Some people say they're full of themselves. They have a lot of money. They don't have any money. They have a hard childhood. They may, we, we just describe everything. Jesus poses that same question to the disciples. Who do people say I am? And now, has anyone ever asked you that and you're not, you don't know how honest you should be? You're like, oh, um, people love you. And you're like, that's not true. What do, what do people really say? And, um, and, and, and they start sharing. Some say this, some say the prophets, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. All, everyone says all these different things. And it's, it's interesting because anytime Pastor Anthony is on this platform and he poses a question um, that's not rhetorical and it just says, hey, you know, what do you think about – it's easy for someone to ask you a question when you are just a person in a crowd. But Jesus takes something very unique in the dynamic of this conversation, and he points out in the middle of the crowd – and it wasn't a big group, it was the disciples, but he looks at Peter and says, what about you? So there's like no hiding anymore. It's like, no, no, you tell me, who, who, do, who am I to you? When I went to seminary, um, it's hilarious, I, I went to seminary down at Regent University in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and um, when I was there studying in seminary, people used to ask me, hey, what are you here for? I was like, yeah, I'm studying. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I'm studying at school. And they're like, that's okay, you know, and they could tell I like, I'm like school divinity at Regent, and they're like, oh, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, nope, nah, just I'm um, trying to find my way, <laughs> trying to find my way for me. And, and the truth was, it took about six months of study before I honestly felt surrendered to say yes to God. I go down to the school. And they have this thing called a preview weekend, and everyone sits in these like in these lecture rooms. There's about a hundred per prospective students. Actually, this wasn't prospective students; these were all students that were enrolled. It was the first week of classes. At the time, it was only a graduate level class. I was in the School of Divinity, studying to get my master's in divinity. Studying later, went to the School of Psychology and Counseling, and I'm there in the class in this lecture room, and I'm late, which is way. Well, showing my best showing up late and and I'm sitting in the back and I parked at the wrong spot and I was like really heavy that time I was heavy and and I remember running across 
I'm sorry, I'm talking too fast. And I was running across the campus, and like I had, I never wear ties. And I'm like, whoever thought of ties? Oh. And so uh, I had this tie on, and I couldn't breathe. My face is bright red, and I finally get to the class, and it's like, it doesn't matter how quiet you try to get into a place. People are like, oh, yeah, who's the late one? You know, and everyone turns around. I sit in the back, and there's a professor talking. Another professor comes up and starts talking, and there's about 100 people in the room, and he's asking questions. Now, how many of you believe that God can use you to change the world? And everyone's like, ah. And I'm like, oh, you know, in the back. And I'm being so cynical. And listen, this is what I want you to know. If you're here today and you're just like, ah, I don't know about this. I don't care. Your enthusiasm or lack thereof does not alter the love or the passion that God has towards you. This is what you need to know about God. And this is... This is so good for us. This is so good for us because you can get upset about your coffee or not having creamer this morning for your coffee. You're like, oh, my day is ruined and all this stuff. And it's like God doesn't allow your whining, your complaining, your ignorance, your arrogance, your pride. Nothing gets away into his love towards you. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you. And I know I'm saying that you don't understand it. I still don't probably fully grasp it or understand. I don't know if we can. But I was sitting in the back of the room, and, and the professor comes up, and he goes, you know, my kids were doing something this morning. They were getting down in their sprinter stance, and they were saying, ready, set, go, and they were running. And, you know, I just feel like God gave me a word for someone here today. And, and he goes, I don't know where you are. He goes, but I, I need someone just to, to show a little, like, um, just to help me with this. And he's looking around the room, and, and again, this is graduate level. I'm like the only 20-year-old in the room. I feel completely inadequate. They said, what was your undergrad focus? And I was like, football, that's what I studied. And they're like, oh, I didn't know. It wasn't early Jewish history. I was like, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Aramaic. It wasn't, you know, Greek, Hebrew. I, I don't even know if I read the whole Bible yet. I can't even spell Habakkuk, okay? And so I'm sitting in the back, and he goes, hey, you, um, in the back there. Now, I have to, I'm not going to lie. I did for a long time about this. This is literally what I did. When he said you in the back, I pulled the old, got a tie my shoe. I did that. I'm not kidding. I literally bent all the way down, and, and, um, and I was like, I'll stay here all day until he calls someone else. And so I was literally down because I'm waiting for him to say, um, oh, yeah, yeah, come on. And then someone comes up, didn't move. I said, no, 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 you. And so then he, all of a sudden I hear feet. And he walks up there and says, hey, what are you doing? Are you tired? Yeah, you bending down. Come on, come on up here. I nearly said, I quit, and I'm walking out. Like, I'm done. This ended before it started. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you have to play like you weren't hiding, you know? It's like, no, I'm not hiding. No, I'm, I'm here. The, the spiritual implications in this are frightening because many of, do, of, of us do this with God and with our own honesty. Vulnerability means that you have a willingness to be wounded. The only way you really grow is to have a vulnerability that says, I'm willing to acknowledge where I am. There's a fascinating thing in a correlation between the question God asked Adam in the garden when the first thing Adam does, it says that he makes out of figs and leaves something to cover his intimate parts. Because he recognized his vulnerability and exposure before God. And he felt inadequate. So he's like, yeah, yeah, come on, come on up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, I love doing this. Yeah, I walk up, you know, all confident, because Jesus is my Savior, and I'm confident in front of people. I'm like, I'm going to throw up. And I walk up to the front, and he goes, hey, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been a sprinter. I feel like saying, look at me. Do I look like a sprinter to you? And so I'm trying to do the fake smile, like, you know, everyone's looking at me. And he's like, why don't you get down the sprinter stance? Now, mind you, I think I'm going to rip my pants. And I'm, so I'm like... I'm doing one of these. He goes, yeah, just get your hand on the ground. And I'm like, I can't, you know. So I'm kind of like, 
And he's standing behind me, and he's literally saying, some of you have been struggling to, to acknowledge the call of God on your life. You're timid, you're resentful, blah, blah, blah. And he's like doing one of these on my back. And the whole time he's doing it, I'm just literally like, I said, everything, everything you're saying is what I'm feeling. And he goes, and I believe that was for someone out here today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> and I walk back to the hiding place in my seat. You know, sometimes God loves us so much that he doesn't permit us to hide any longer. And, and, and if you're here today, know that God loves you. He's not calling you out to, to break you. He's calling you out to free you from a bondage that you're unable to free yourself from. And there's a power in that. There really is. I want freedom. I don't know what to do. You keep walking towards Jesus. Don't make it more complicated than it is. Just keep walking to Jesus. If you're struggling in this area or that area, it's like, what, would, what does the Word say? What does God's truth teach me? What should I do? But it's not just about doing things. James says this. He says, do not deceive yourselves into thinking you can merely be hearers of the Word. You must do what the Word says. There is a spiritual dynamic that happens in this physical realm when we walk in accordance to what God's Word teaches us. He says, don't deceive yourself. For many years, I, when people would talk to me about the scriptures, I'd say, yeah, yeah, I know that. What I was telling them that I was familiar with what the word says, but the truth was I wasn't walking in it. The power is not in knowing it. The power is in walking in it. Can you say amen? amen. He says, Peter, who do you say that I am? It's like a spotlight. We don't do this to people who are new to church, but can you just imagine everyone's here and it's like the lights go out and then just one light shines over your seat. We're not going to do this, so don't like panic. And it's like, you, can you share your name? What do you think of Jesus, you know? And they're like, uh, there's a reason humanity has a greater fear of public speaking than of death. There, there's something wired in our humanity that causes us greater fear to be judged by other people than anything else. And we spend more time in our culture today trying to present a person through social media that we think we should be than who we really are in Christ. If you took as much time as you do in presenting where you are, who you want to be, who you should be, who people tell you should be, but to everyone else, and then you have this epiphany. The only one that really matters to whom I present myself to is God. And if I do that, all of the other fulfillment, the joy, the meaning, the affirmation, the, the, the abundant life that he promises in John 10, 10, will come to me. But I must put him first in it all. <laughs> we make it very complicated. We make it very confusing, but it's really not. In James chapter 5, he talks about the power of prayer. When we talk about these questions, whether where you are in your journey of life, or maybe answering that question of who Jesus is, that question that Jesus asked Peter in that context of speaking to the disciples, I believe that question he asked him is continually asked throughout humanity every single day, every hour of every day. Jesus is asking you today, he says, well, who do you say that I am? I remember growing up when people asked me theological things or religious questions, I'd always just lean over, look at my parents and be like, you know, what do you, what do you want to say? You know, 
And they were like, no, no, good. I'm like, yeah, what, what they said, you know. <laughs> and you grow in your walk with God and you realize you can't stand on the revelation that your parents have of Jesus. Some of you are young and you've been raised in church. There is nothing greater for your future than for you to be raised in the house of God. To all the moms and the dads who have been fighting with your children to get in church, maybe it happened this morning, but they're there, they're here with you, good on you. Keep fighting the fight of faith, <laughs> keeping your kids. You don't recognize what you're saving them from. I thank my parents all the time for being faithful in their walk with Jesus. Not in dragging me, but in your faithfulness to God. And I know they weren't perfect, but I just said, thank you for doing it. Thank you for doing it. Thank you. Because when other people stay faithful to God, they create like this wake for other people to walk in behind it. So, so many of us don't realize that, that you've come to faith because of other people's faithfulness to Jesus. Other people's generosity to Jesus. Other people's willingness to serve the needs of other people. And God opens doors so that you can answer that question that Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? When he asked that question to Peter, I can't wait to meet Peter someday, but he's like quick to respond. He says, you are the son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus says something back to him where it's almost deflating in some sense, but it's a reminder in the other that God will always get the glory. And so if your motivations are off, it's all right. I just want you to know the Bible says that God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And so if you sow with selfish deceit or with ambition or with poor motivation, God's not, you know, he'll use it, but you won't get the glory for it. He will. <laughs> he always does. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ. And he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So many people today are like, well, I want to see, I want to touch, I want to experience. You, you, want to, you want to come to the knowledge and the revelation of God apart through the divine, supernatural sovereignty of who God is. But the Bible says that the revelation of the Father comes alone through the Holy Spirit. This is what it means. God shows himself to humanity and draws people to him. And he says, you did not come to this understanding through flesh and blood. He says, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. So it's almost like everyone at first was like, wow, Pete, you figured that out? And then he's like, no, he didn't. The Father showed him. And they're like, you stupid, you know. But it's the Father, and he reveals himself to all of us. He's no respecter of persons. It's like my heart and my journey right now in, in, in building our church, I mean, I feel like when we drove up, we, it doesn't feel like farmland and just cornfields where we are, but now that we drive up here, it's like, yeah, it's farmlands and cornfields, you know, but... But I, with, with all that happens in life and, in, and through life and all the circumstances we're living in as a nation and all these different things, I believe everyone is always asking themselves questions about where am I and ultimately lead you to a question about eternal things. Eternal things. Is heaven real? Will I end up there? Well, I got to show up to church. I just want to make sure that I'm right with God. It's like, no, no. You... you Hey, welcome to church. You can't buy salvation. It's like, well, what do I need to do? Well, you can't work for it. They're like, well, well, if I can't work for it, I can't buy it. It's like, well, what can I do? It's a gift. It's a free gift. It's given to you. But there is a requirement. It's like in Christmas, someone gives you a gift. You can't say, oh, 
It's everything I wanted. No, you just open the gift and then thank them. Well, you need to open it. The act of salvation is this acknowledgement, just like I was talking about in the blindness of the spirit religious leaders, is God wants you to recognize where you are first. It's really what salvation is this. It's you can't, God can. Like, well, I'm going to become something of myself. No, that's great. Become something of yourself. It won't ratify sin. It won't redeem you. It won't justify you. It won't stand you covered in the blood of Jesus in perfection before the Father in heaven. Do you know there's one final test in our life? According to scripture, there's one final test, and this is the final test when you stand before the Father in heaven. And there's not like a group family thing where it's like, well, my dad will take care of that. No, no. Every single one of you will stand before God, and I'll ask you one question. Do you know what the question is? It's this. What did you do with my son, Jesus? That's it. There are one, there's one other, other moment of giving, of rewarding those who first get, get the first question right. But the first judgment is that. What did you do with Jesus? And I don't know about you, but I, I love to just know what's on a test before the test shows up. Like, just, just tell me what it is. I just, I just want to know. It. That's it. It's it. But it's more than that. It's to know your creator, to know the one that loves you, that formed you, that, that desires to walk with you, to, to be your ever-present help in time of need. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knew you before you were formed in the womb of your mother. So whatever you have in this sense of, oh, I'm not valued, no one has affirmed me, no one loves me, God loves you. God cares about you, and you might feel like you've been robbed of your childhood or of, of having a father or a mother or a family that loves you. My friend, that is the dynamic of what the ecclesia, the church is. It is the calling out of the world to become a family of God. And what, that, what the world robs you of, God restores. It's what it means. Whatever the world robs you of, God restores and brings back to your life. I want to pray for some of you today. What a privilege it would be to pray with you. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here today and, and you're familiar with Jesus. You understand what it means to surrender your life to God. And maybe you're here today and, and you've been visiting for a while. You've been floating this idea or this concept in your mind like, maybe I could belong here. Maybe this is a place. I've invited some people recently to our church and they said, well, I'd come. But I believe that you would have the expectations of of." of me changing like you would want me to change and, and I smiled and I said my friend the greatest compliment anyone could give me now from when I first met them is that I've changed and so I'm not, I'm not changing into who I want to be but I'm changing into the person of Jesus Christ and so I believe that this truth this word actually brings me to greater freedom and everything in opposition to it leads me into greater bondage. The Bible says that God sent His one and only Son. The most famous, frequently quoted scriptures in all the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. God doesn't come to condemn you. He's come to save you. And you might be here today, and there's two postures of the heart when they hear that. Well, what do I need to be saved from? It's a sense of self-righteousness and arrogance. Well, I don't need to be saved. I got a 401k, and I got a house, and I got this car, and I got all these things. I'm fine. And then the other side is self-condemnation. It's like, well, no, I don't think God can save me. I don't know if, it, if Jesus is enough. 
do you know Jesus is not offended by either reaction? He speaks to both, one with compassion and one with truth, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you want to walk in freedom, healing, hope, purpose, value? You surrender your life to Jesus. He's the only one that can set you free. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. The Bible teaches us in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we shall be saved. So we're going to say a simple prayer. And family, I'm going to ask you, let's lead people to Jesus right now. Let's say this prayer together as a family. If you're saying it for the first time, you're not going to say it alone. Your new family is going to help lead you in this prayer of salvation. So repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin in the grave. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church Live, come on, clap for everybody that said yes to Jesus.